Welcome to the Upper Room Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to urfellowship.com. Hello, my people. Super glad to have you all here with us today. We are, um, it's going to be the last day of the series called Bold, so this will be the last week of this series. Next week is Mother's Day, so we have a beautiful young lady teaching who's very wise and who I admire very much. My, my wife will be teaching us next week. She's going to drop some truth bombs. I'm excited to hear what she has to share. Uh, if you want to follow along today in your Bibles, we'll be in Acts chapter 5 to start for a bit. Then we're going to move to Matthew 25, then we're going to go to Romans. So we're going to be skipping around today. So it's like uh, moving, moving fast. So uh, the first week of this series, we talked about bold prayers, right? We learned that boldness is a behavior born out of belief. And our main point was what you pray for, what you don't pray for, reflects what you believe about God. Right? If you pray big prayers, um, big bold prayers, you believe that you serve a big God. Then last week we talked about bold speech and we said that uh, we speak boldly about what we believe deeply because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever you're passionate about comes out of your mouth. Then today we're going to talk about bold obedience. And let me, let me give you some context for the, for the scripture that we're going to be in today. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we have been talking about Peter and John in the, in the early church and Peter and John were... They were boldly preaching. The Sanhedrin didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus and said, you've got to stop preaching the resurrection. Well, they kept preaching. They kept doing it. They were praying, and people were being healed, and they were casting out demons. And, and people by the hundreds were becoming Christians. And so the religious leaders felt this pressure. we got to shut this thing down. And they knew if they didn't, that Rome would come in and say, okay, okay, little boys, obviously you don't have the power to get this thing sorted out. So we'll strip you of your power and we'll do it for you. So they were under this enormous pressure to get this thing settled. Uh, that's where we pick up the story in Acts 5.17. Do you want to go there? Acts 5.17. Scripture says this. It says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Verse 20, the angel says, Go, stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. So so we see these apostles boldly obey. And I want to show you three principles that you will experience um, in your bold Obedience. So the, the first two we're going to hit quickly. The third one we're going to spend some more time on. Uh, the first one, you have to remember. Bold obedience usually triggers opposition. Okay, Verse 18 says, They, as the religious leaders, arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail. So if you're keeping track, this is the second time in a very, that they've been in jail in a very short period of time. Right. The, the problem is, in our culture... The one we live in, whether we would ever say it out loud or not, there's something inside of us that believes that that's not fair. Deep down inside, we believe 
If we're obeying God, if we are going to church, you know, once or twice a month, whether we need it or not, we haven't lost our temper or yelled at our spouse and kids for a while, we haven't pocketed any of the pens in the supply closet at work for the last month, you know, then we feel everything should go pretty smoothly for us. You know, I helped the old lady cross the street. I'm a good person, so nothing bad should happen to me. I'm obeying God. I should be married to a, you know, smoking hot hunk of man who loves the Bible and irons my clothes, right? I'm, I'm obeying. I should, we should have kids who never get sick. I should make an A on my exam because I read my Bible today. Like I said, whether we'd ever say it out loud, deep down we believe that's how it should be. And the reality is, though, when you obey and you boldly obey God, you will face opposition. And I don't know what it'll be for you. You could be, you know, tired of debt, and everybody's in debt, and everybody's living beyond their means. Everybody's struggling financially, and finally you say, you know what, I'm sick of it. I don't want this financial noose around my neck. We're getting out of debt, and God may lead you to do something crazy, and you obey, and you start driving an old clunker instead of, instead of borrowing, or maybe you... Uh, downsize into a smaller house and everybody's like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Stay with us, right? All those people who live beyond our means. You know, stay in debt. That's what we do. Buy bigger. Buy more than you can afford. Borrow money. Or maybe for you, God may, may prompt you to get healthier or to, you know, not drink alcohol or something and, or any number of things. And anyone who's ever tried to change their diet or stop drinking alcohol, or change what they take in to live in a healthier way, will tell you, people will always go, ah, come on, have a piece of cake, right? One piece of cake, have a drink with me. One drink won't hurt. Here, I'll I'll pour it for you. There's opposition that comes with obedience. So thought number one, when you boldly obey, you'll usually trigger opposition. Thought number two, when you boldly obey, you'll often release God's miracles, When you obey, you can expect God to show up and work supernaturally. So verse 19, I love this. This, Now, if you remember, uh, Luke wrote Acts. He's a physician. And listen to just the statement. No emotion, no big setup, just the statement. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. That's it, just a statement. Now, let's be honest. If it was me and I saw an angel, my statement would be a little different, right? There'd be a lot of exclamation points. But, but here's the thing. To Luke, an angel of the Lord appeared and opened up his doors. No big deal. Just a very simple statement. Why? Because when you walk in obedience to God, you should expect the miracles of God. When you walk in, in obedience to God, you're not surprised when God shows up and does something supernaturally. You see this with the disciples feeding the 5,000. They were boldly obedient to what God asked them to do, and they witnessed a miracle. You see this with David fighting Goliath. It's not a subtle theme in the Bible. Miracles follow bold obedience. And I'm not saying that nothing ever goes wrong, right? These guys were in prison. That was bad. But in the middle of a bad day, an angel shows up. When you walk in obedience, in bold obedience, you shouldn't be surprised when God comes through. We talked about that last week. Acts 14.3 says, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So there's something about boldness that invites miracles. The Lord loves boldness so much he backs it up. So when you walk in obedience to God in faith, you're not shocked when God does something supernaturally. 
Obedience often releases God's miracles. So, bold obedience usually triggers opposition, and it often releases God's miracles. And number three, bold obedience requires risk. So verse 20, the Lord, the angel of the Lord tells them, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Now, okay, basically, the angel just said, go back and do what got you thrown in jail twice, right? I mean, go back and do what the people who have the power and the authority to take your life, go back and do what they told you not to ever, ever, ever do again. That's risky. Now, when God prompts you to do something, it will take faith and it will be risky. You may be, you may be like me. You're like, I want some details, right? Give me some guarantees. I want to know how this is going to work out before I move forward. But the Bible says that God's word is a lamp unto our feet, right? What's that mean? If it's a light shining at our feet, you may be able to see the next step. Maybe two, but not five and not 20. Right? Because it's a lamp to our feet. If we obey step by step, then God continues to reveal. And we obey him step by step. And you do the last thing God told you to do and you obey by faith. I love verse 21. It says, At daybreak they entered the temple courts as they had been told and they began to teach the people. And because of their obedience, the religious leaders unleashed on them again. So verse 27 through 29. Says the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. He said, "We gave you strict orders not to teach in this, this this name." He said, "Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood." Peter and the other other apostles replied, "We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. It's risky, isn't it?" But really, the, the amount of bold obedience that you have is equal to the amount of risk that you're willing to take. That's the bottom line. Boldness equals risk. In Matthew 25, uh, Jesus tells a parable. And this parable brings this idea of how bold obedience equals risk into sharp focus. Uh, and it's called the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold. And you probably know it or know of it um, it's often taught as a parable about stewardship. It's not mostly about stewardship. It's really about risk and bold obedience. And so he says in Matthew twenty-five fourteen, this is Jesus. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So stop there. This story begins with incredibly good news. The the master calls in these guys, and he says to them, I'm going to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. And he offers them a huge amount of money. It would have been the equivalent of millions of dollars. In today's money, the idea would be that this would be like a profit sharing venture where, where the master and the servants would share in the gains. So, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Uh, and this is a staggeringly generous master. This story starts with grace. 
The word Jesus uses to describe the master's generosity is he entrusts. In other words, this is not something he does just for the benefit of the servant. Okay, This is a part of the master's larger purposes. Whatever the Lord gives me now, he will ask about later. My mind, my body, my imagination, my stuff, my time. Whatever the Lord gives now, he will ask about later. So back to the story. The master gives his servant all this money, and he basically says to them, you create, you dream, you dare, you try, you risk. They were only responsible to invest to the fullest whatever they had received. Verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. In his statement, and I think this is important, you hear excitement. You sense an eager anticipation. He is glad to see his master. He's been looking forward to his return. Verse 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So same exact statement. He made less than the other guy, but he started with less, so he got the same commendation. Verse 24, but he who had received the one talent came forward saying, listen to the difference in tone in how he thinks about the master. Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now, he didn't, he didn't steal his master's money or try to run away with it. He didn't give him a briefcase full of IOUs. He didn't blow it on drugs or partying or prostitutes or gambling. He gave the money, the master back, 100% of what he had been given. Verse 26, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has the ten talents, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So this servant was... He's condemned, right? There really isn't any other word for it. Not for what he had done, but for what he had not done. For the bold obedience he didn't have and the risks that he didn't take. This parable shows us that to be obedient is to risk what you have for the kingdom of God. Throughout the Bible, most believers were called upon to take bold risks for the kingdom of God. David and Goliath... David had no guarantee that God would help him smite Goliath. There's, there's a story in the book of Samuel where Jonathan and his armor bearer took on an entire garrison of Philistine soldiers. What's amazing about the story is how Jonathan invited his armor bearer to join him. He said, uh, come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Perhaps. Right? If I'm the armor bearer, I'm probably going to be like, uh, sorry, bro, I'm going to need more than your perhaps. Right? 
before taking on an entire fortified garrison of trained Philistine soldiers. But God was in it, and God gave Jonathan and his armor-bearer a great victory. Esther, when Queen Esther went before the king to plead uh, for the lives of her people, she put her life at great risk. She had no idea what her outcome would be. In Esther 4.16, she says, If I perish, I perish. Paul's entire life was one bold, obedient risk after another. Nothing about Paul's life was safe or guaranteed. Every day he risked his life for the cause of God. The roads weren't safe. The rivers weren't safe. His own people, the Jews, weren't safe. The Gentiles weren't safe. The cities weren't safe. The wilderness wasn't safe. The sea wasn't safe. Even the so-called Christian brothers weren't safe. Safety simply didn't exist for the Apostle Paul. The Christian life is a call to risk because we are called to boldly obey the Lord. So what happens when you don't boldly obey? Uh, The nation of Israel is an example. Twelve spies go into the promised land to check it out. Ten spies said, there's giants and we are like grasshoppers. Two spies said, yeah, but we believe God wants us to take the land. And Israel said, nope, too risky. Let's stay and wait for a little while, right? God's verdict was wrong decision. What is interesting to me is that God calls the report of the ten uh, evil in Numbers 13. Evil. Every word that they said was true. But it was evil because they refused to see it with the eyes of faith and boldly obey and take risks. So Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until an entire generation had died. So where, where are you going to boldly obey? What risk is God calling you to? For the third servant, the amazing gift didn't prompt any dreams, um, didn't prompt any dares or any risk. It didn't change him at all. He did not make his life a bold adventure for the faithfulness to God. He did not say yes to the great divine invitation. And notice, this isn't like a failure he did just once, right? Every morning when he woke up, he was sitting on a treasure for his master. Every morning was a new opportunity to obey and put it to use. Which leads to the next question, which is, which is real personal for all of us. Where is God asking you to be boldly obedient? Is it a new ministry God has put in your heart? You know, pursuing adoption? A divinely directed career change. Maybe it's something a little closer at hand, right? Simply forgiving somebody. Boldly sharing Christ. Trying to reorder your marriage God's way. Obeying God and how you approach business. Operating with integrity. Maybe being obedient to God with your finances. God honors bold obedience. So maybe you're going, all right. So bold obedience invites opposition and it's risky. All right, that's scary. Isn't what, is that what the servant in the parable said? Verse 25, right? I was afraid. So how do we overcome that fear? The answer is revealed in the different attitudes these servants have towards their master. The first two, the ones who invested their, their talents, are filled with eager anticipation. Like a dad returning. But the third said things like, I knew you were a hard man. He was critical. You reap where you didn't sow. And I was afraid. What's the difference between the two servants that boldly risked and the third servant who didn't? 
The difference is the first two trusted the master's goodness. The first two servants had a sense that their master was good and trustworthy. They felt a freedom and a confidence in obedience. In Romans, Paul explains why he was willing to take great risks. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation would be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, I will risk. Paul knew the character of God, therefore he felt great confidence in stepping out boldly in, in great risk in his name. If the cross reveals how God feels about me, why would I not feel safe jumping into his arms? If the cross reveals how God feels about the world, why would I not ask God for great things? Boldness is a behavior born out of belief. What do you believe about God? Is he a hard man? Or do you believe that he's good? I think we have to measure his compassion by what he did on the cross and his power by the resurrection. That's who he is. One thing I know, God, Jesus didn't die so that we could have comfortable little, a comfortable little fellowship that makes little to no impact on the community. He died to make the nations worship. He, did, he died to create a multitude gathered around his throne proclaiming his praises so vast that no man could count it. And I will not insult his sacrifice through small dreams or weak plans. D.L. Moody said, If God be your partner, make large plans. So what are you doing with your life worthy of the price that he paid? It's not like a hero complex or bravado or needing to earn God's favor that compels us to be bold, but rather faith and trust in the ever-loving, powerful Son of God, Jesus Christ. These servants in the the parable had trust in their master's goodness. The first two servants seem excited about their master's return and eager to see the kingdom expand. And so they were obedient and took the risk. So the master, when he returns, gives them two things— greater responsibility, and a greater share of his joy. What does obedience bring? John 15 uh, says, Jesus says, uh, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. I tell you this so that your joy may be complete. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. 
I tell you this so your joy may be complete. We obey for God's glory and for our joy. There's a poem by C.T. Studd, and one of the stanzas goes like this. It says, Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So I ask you again, where in your life could you be bold for Jesus? Are you praying bold prayers? Are you speaking boldly to yourself to to encourage others and to draw others towards Christ? And are you boldly obeying what God has called you to? Because boldness is behavior born out of belief. And we believe that the Lord is good and what is done for him will last. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your, uh, your spirit would seal this truth deep within our hearts. And God, that we would be, we'd be different because we spend time with you, God. And that leads to faith, which leads to boldness, which leads to results, which leads to more desire for you and more faith and more boldness, more glory to you. Make us in love with your son, Jesus. So much so that the, the world would be amazed by our boldness and they would take note that we have been with Jesus. And so those of you who would say, I want to be a bolder person for the Lord, um, in these last three weeks of sermons on boldness, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about living out what you believe in a bolder way, if that's you, would you uh, lift your hands now because I want, to, I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. I pray, God, that we would love and trust you so much that we become bold for you that we would pray bold prayers. And God, that we would come to a place where when, when you prompt us, we will speak boldly for you and obey even when we don't understand, even when there's opposition, even when the opposition is us, even when there's risk. And God, when we, when we follow you, we won't be surprised by your miracles that follow our boldness. God, lead us to a fully surrendered, obedient joyful life, living boldly for the one who gave his life for us. In your name we pray. Amen.